We've seen such a huge shift in the generations and what they deem to be success and what they care about. 10, 15 years ago, it was all about getting the best job that you could and having a house and having the money. And I think that, you know, this younger generation has come up and they've seen that that just doesn't work. It's the candy mountain that tastes of nothing. If you don't know this, then you're behind the times. The only metric that matters is convenience. Rules apply to you. Suddenly you're an advertiser. So we're all fine for space. You're listening to Social Minds, the UK's first dedicated social media marketing podcast brought to you by Social Chain. I'm Theo. And I'm Eve. And joining us every week will be a host of esteemed thought leaders from the worlds of marketing, tech, advertising and beyond. On this podcast, we don't just tell you what, we tell you why, to give you a clearer insight into what the latest developments happening across our industry mean for you. And if you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe to get new episodes every Tuesday. This week on Social Minds. Facebook was probably once a place that was a little bit your backstage, where you had your friends and, you know, like some people that you maybe you've met at festivals or whatever. All of a sudden, mum and dad start coming into it. It's moved from backstage to front stage. We sat down with Kay and Bexy from the brand experience agency Amplify, whose recent Young Blood 2 study is a follow-up on their 2016 white paper into young people. Young people didn't trust governments, they didn't trust um, religious institutions, they didn't, they didn't trust politicians and, you know educational institutions, now they've stopped trusting brands as well. So that was a massive shift. And I think that comes from the data scandals. In this episode, we get to the heart of what influence means to young people in today's world. What does influence mean to young people today? Um, I think that influence is one of those things that has been kind of torn apart by so many different people and mediums, and especially with social media. It's kind of important to understand what influence actually means at its very core. Like if you're taking it from a social perspective, if you're taking it from an anthropological perspective or psychological one, I think influence kind of stems from the need to just be validated and heard as far as like Mm -hmm. that's the very core basic need of it, which is something that has gone on for thousands and thousands of years. Um, Influence as we're talking about it now probably is more about how do you commodify influence or how do you quantify it or how do you monetize it so um it's important to kind of differentiate like what influence you're talking about but yeah the power to be a understood listened to validated that is something which is important for everybody and it's been important for thousands of years so i think for young people today if you're talking one-on-one that need to be listened to is still as important as it ever was. Whereas potentially the need to be an influencer or influential, um, that kind of has to be broken down into different parts to understand whether or not it has much meaning for young people now. We've definitely seen in our research and studies that the the idea of being influential as a a term of success Mm. is definitely Mm. on the wane. But that's for many, many different reasons. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's taken a, a few years to get to the point where um, young people are looking at influence um, positively and negatively. So, you know, a couple of years ago when we did our first piece of young blood research, um, we found that influence was something that young people wanted. It was desirable. It showed um, it showed power. It showed knowledge. It you know it put you in the pecking order of a social circle. And what we found two years on is actually um, it's becoming less relevant um, in terms of being influential on people that young people don't know. So being, you know, having blanket influence rather than having influence on their group of friends or or people that they would seriously consider feedback mm. from. Why, why do you think that is? Why do you think it is becoming less relevant? 
Well, I think I think influencers basically uh, the the circle has become tighter mm-hmm. in terms of. Um, you know, a lot has happened over the last two years. A lot has happened in in the world that makes it a bit more of a bleak place. And actually, um, people are looking at influence as um, not just a, a frivolous power play anymore. It's actually quite serious. Mm-hmm. You know, it's can I can I change somebody's mind about the state of the world? Can I make somebody care more? Mm-hmm. You know, it's less about like I really like this band or this brand or these mm-hmm. these clothes or you know. And it's more about social issues. It's more about environmental issues. Um, it's actually just, it's become a bit more serious, mm-hmm. I think. But I think the term influencer itself is something that's been bandied around so much yeah. as a specific category of people um, that young people see as potentially being, you know, you know, to make no bones about it, sellouts, essentially. Mm-hmm. They can be perceived mm-hmm. to be that. They don't necessarily want to be tarred with that brush. I remember, um, the, was it Essena O'Neill, the Australian girl that was a massive influencer two mm-hmm. or three years ago, and she um, had, like, her huge Instagram following, and she had all these photographs of herself, and then she came out and she had that video where she said, basically, all of this is a lie. And, you know, the moment that I was using that pen to write that letter that I was, you know, hashtag sponsored, I was actually she heartbroken and this and that and the other and a lot of the brands that we worked with at the time were like oh my god the bubbles mm. burst mm. what are we mm. going to do we're paying for all these influencers to you know spon- have, have hashtag sponsored on their stuff and you know young people are now going to be wise to it and we were like are you joking young people are completely wise to this anyway they didn't need an influencer mm. to come out and tell them that that's the way that they're you know that that you know their streams are constructed and manicured and curated mm. they know that because mm. they're doing it themselves this is water to them yeah. you know this is how they live and breathe and feel and every picture they take is probably as kind of curated as this yeah. girl so they didn't need to be told that in fact the only people that really needed to be told at the time were brands yeah. they needed the wall pulled out they you know they, they needed the curtain drawing back and to be told that this is actually how this is happening and if you don't realize that you know people being unauthentic and then using the word sponsored next to your goods isn't going to sell you know, it, I feel that it was actually the bubble that needed to burst for brands themselves rather than for young people specifically. Mm. She she actually had quite a hostile response, I think, from young people. And br- brands and the media felt sorry for her. But young people were like, you you know, this is the life you were being paid to show. Yeah, so you chose it. You chose yeah. it and you knew what we, you were doing and we knew what you were doing. Yeah. Why are you crying about it? which seems really heartless, but actually in a world of transparency, and that's what this is now, you know, we're, we're completely, we're living in a transparent world. Um, she was sort of opening her heart and, you know, and drawing the curtains on this great revelation, which was not a revelation to most young people. No. And yet in saying that, we've, we've sort of pulled back the curtain on, you know, what could almost be seen as sort of like um, a bit of an open secret among young people. But... It still works. Mm-hmm. It seems to it seems to be influent. This is the conversation, isn't it? Influencer marketing for all its uh, sort of woes and for all the scandals we've seen, it still seems yeah. to work for young people. It does work. I think it just you have to be able to look at it as in like who is it working for mm-hmm. and what is it that you're trying to sell or what is it you're tr- what are the values that you're trying to put out there. Um, it's a really age old example, but you know uh, Stormzy, Adidas, Rita Ora. You look at that and you know they had they were they had both of them as kind of like their brand 
ambassadors, if you like, at a very, kind of simultaneously, they were hitting very different target audiences. One was, in my mind, completely inauthentic. Rita Ora was wearing sketches like a month before. Stormzy and his crew had been wearing Adidas for like six, seven years. Top to toe. Top to toe. <laughs> and, you know, and without being, without being sponsored for it. And in a way, you could look at Adidas, you could say, well, why weren't you just going down the authentic you know, mm. route with finding more and more underground grassroots? At the time, Stormzy's following was minuscule in comparison to Rita Ora. I would imagine that's probably... <laughs> evened out quite a lot now but yeah but you know they, they were like one of them's hitting mainstream 14 year old girls being on the front of company magazine and stuff like that whereas Stormzy was actually being like you know this hugely influential credible person within an urban like market on the ground, mm. on the ground. Well. and people who were like interested in Adidas and Stormzy could go back four or five years and see that you know he was still wearing it then and that's you know credible you know, influencer mm, marketing, if mm. you like, when you know, like I, I keep saying this to people, they're like, oh, we're, we're sponsoring so-and-so to, to, to be a brand advocate for us. And then four weeks later, they've deleted the post that we paid them for. Mm. And it's like, I think this is a really good rule of thumb. If somebody's going to delete what you've paid them to post, they were a wrong fit in the first place. Yeah. You know, yeah. you, they should be so embedded with your brand or your brand values or what you have to, you know, they should be such an expert on what you are all about that they are proud to have that up there. And if they're not, then you're choosing you're choosing incorrectly. You want a natural advocate. Yeah, I mean, I mean that, that's, an interesting, that's an interesting point because actually that's two-pronged. One, did you have the right influencer? And two, did you give them the creative freedom to come up with something that they, that, they were that proud of? They were proud <laughs> yeah. of. Yeah. You know, because that, because having creative freedom means that you will try your hardest. You will mm. put something up that you own mm -hmm. and you're proud of owning. Having something that somebody's given you and you badge is a little bit embarrassing if you are not credibly playing in that field. And people know whether they're being authentic or not. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to your point, um, it works. You know, influencer marketing works if you have the right influencer. And that means credibility and authenticity. Mm -hmm. It seems to me in that case, Dan, it almost goes full circle in a way because I, 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 my relationship with it is I sort of see, you know, a lot of young people who stand from their own influence could profit from this greatly. And I mean, we're talking about 2018 now where we are in a place where there is job uncertainty. The jobs that existed 10 years ago won't exist in five years time. Mm -hmm. Are we saying that, you know, could there be an instance where young people are more willing to become influencers mm. if these brands that they are working with empower them to have yeah. that creative freedom yeah. to do that is that the, yeah. is that I yeah. suppose I completely think that yeah. Uh, yeah and Absolutely. I think that this the sea change is happening now and it's happening because brands have had the bubble burst on them mm. and they've realized that what they need to do is be look at is to look at people who are credible and are experts and are embedded in the scenes that they want mm. to become a part mm. of and as soon as they start changing who they give money to you know, it will start to change what the meaning of an influencer is, mm -hmm. which means that it will be more credible, it'll be more interesting, it'll be more about giving creative platforms. My nephew is a, uh, what you would call an influencer, but that's because he's a stylist and because he talks about gender. And those are two things that you could talk to him about for hours and hours and hours. And he has values embedded in him. He's been talking about it for years and he's incredible. And if people want to go to him to talk, to the, talk about those types of things or that type of audience, they will absolutely nail it. But he doesn't see himself as an influencer. He just sees himself as somebody who is interested, passionate, mm. credible, authentic, but that makes him the perfect influencer. Yes. That's what you want to be looking for. The minute somebody starts to change what their values are for a price, they lose their influence because you've got the, the trust 
is is being lost. Mm. So as soon as that starts mm. to happen, the value exchange is gone. So it's all it's all about power dynamics. It's all about values and authenticity, and and about really thinking. Um, you know, does this work for me? What am I getting out of it as a person? Am I being stretched creatively? Am I being given a platform? And if you if those answers are yes, then you're much more likely to want to talk about a brand or what they have or you know anything that connects with you and your real values. So I think that's it is it is changing. There is always going to be, like, on the flip side of that, you're always going to have, like, a Kardashian being able to sell out a lip liner because yeah. of the fact mm. that, you know, mm. they have such a huge following and you look at the power of influence. We've definitely seen this again in our research. The younger that you skew, the less likely, they, the, the less they need there to be expert. Mm. As in, you know, young people who are like 13, 14, 15 years old are following things like Victoria's Secret and they're following like these kind of bigger celebs because it's it's before they kind of have understood what their own identity is really mm. about, yeah. before mm. they start forming their own opinions, that type of thing. So you will still be able to get that super young pound by doing stuff like that, which is not necessarily the most ethical way to no. sell products, but it obviously it's still is going to work. Have you found that people of that age group, like the younger bracket, are still um, thinking of influencer as a potential career? I think we what we what we found is the younger they were, the more respect and time they had for generic influencers. Right. Because as Bexie said, they're trying to form their own identities. Mm. So for them, seeing aspiration, seeing a certain lifestyle is you know where they're projecting themselves yeah um we 41% of our audience 18 to 30 didn't want to be more influential see that's that's why I question because in um not question it's uh it's truth but sort of the reason behind it because like you said people are starting to think about influence more seriously Mm. and young people want to have an impact on the world yeah but why then are they not seeking out the best platform or the easiest platform at their disposal to do so anymore. Yeah. I mean, I think they are. So so this is where it gets interesting. They are looking at, um, you know, those messages that they want to get out there and, and reinforcing their beliefs and their behaviours and their values and trying to get positive uh, validation back from their peers. But they're doing it to a smaller and smaller audience mm. who they feel are relevant mm. to them. I think, you know... The minute you say influencer as a job, you're open season to criticism. Mm. Yeah, You mm. are laying yourself out there and saying, you know, I'm potentially in the same bracket of people that sell fit tea, mm. which is which is where nobody wants to be. Um, Mark Ritson uh, did an interesting experiment where he um, he pixelated a picture of his ass. <laughs> And <laughs> sent it, <laughs> and sent it to various influencers, and he found that you know, and said you know this is a piece of art. Um, I'm a credible artist. Uh, can you can you give me a push on your social channels? And you know, a bunch of them did. I've which, seen worse art than a pixelator. Yeah. That's for sure. <laughs> you should get on there. You've been obsessed with that pixelator app. Yes, That's yes, your next big move. I've discovered a pixelator app recently and I've been using it for absolutely everything. Now he's got a new idea. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, it just goes yeah. to show that, you know, those are the people that are letting the side down or, mm. almost in yeah. in, be, in influencer be, being a dirty word. Mm. Now, as Bexie's saying, that could you could turn that round. It only takes people to be you know, credible and authentic and really believe in the thing that they are selling. But until brands 
until brands start looking for that mm. instead of the mainstream, Which you're they not. Are, I feel. Yeah, you're you're not going to get that quick shift. Mm-hmm. You know, people are still going to look at influencers with a bit of a. Because essentially it's celebrity endorsement. That's yes. it, it's, yes. it's, it's the 2000, you know, 16, 2017, 2018 way of, mm-hmm. of doing celebrity endorsement. I do think to your point, though, of, you know, why wouldn't they want to be influential or why wouldn't they have, wouldn't want to have more influence? I think we do need to take a bit of nuance, again, with what the word influence means. Mm-hmm. Because I think if we take it from the perspective of would you, li- would you like to be heard? Would you want your opinions known and validated? I think that every young person would probably want more of that. Yeah. I think that they probably are just so used to the terminology being about influencer that they are probably answering the research with that in mind. Yeah. So I think mm. with, ev- ev- with every piece of research, there needs to be that kind of nuance mm. that goes with it. And I feel that young people do want to be heard. We're definitely seeing that we have a, a, an, a generation of more politicised, interested, environmentally, you know, careful, cautious and, yeah, rebellious in that way, like mm. wanting to change the system. Um, a generation coming up that are, are, are super passionate and definitely want to have influence. Um, so I think it does need to, to be taken with that with that we, new. We one. actually found sixty. I think it was sixty-two percent of our audience said that they felt influential, not that they wanted to be influencers. That they felt influential. So it's not that they're not owning that power. It's that they they don't necessarily want to um, equate it to a social platform. Mm-hmm. And we also found in our last piece of research that we did that the magic number of when people started to feel like they were starting mm. to have more influence was 17 which I thought was actually quite young mm. um, I don't think I thought I had anything to say when I was 17 years old yeah, I sure. thought I had too much to say <laughs> <laughs> we should have talked um, but no I, 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 I thought it was quite young but then when we started to actually dial into this in like our one on one interviews and our peer to peer it came across that you know this was the time when they were being asked all these really important questions about themselves mm. you know like what do you want to do with mm. your life like where do you want to go to university like yeah. you know like make your life yeah, choices and it's right like now. oh my god you get bombarded with all this with all all these options and choices and questions mm-hmm. and so you have to start you know being a bit more kind of forthright with what it is that you want and so we think that that might be the reason why that age was kind yeah. of the, the magic age and, and I think people. actually young people are more political than they used to be they've, they've yeah, been more, forced yeah. into being more political because nobody's looking after their futures at the moment you know they have to speak for themselves this is, this is what I was about to say this is quite an interesting point there as well because um I look at young people today, you know, being a young person as well, and I sort of see there's a lot of contrasts and a lot of contradictions in the sense that in one sense of the word, you you have a look on the street today and you can go to London or you could go to Manchester or wherever. We don't see many subcultures about anymore, mm. which sort of, in, in my opinion, seems to, you know, and a lot of people kind of say there's a lack of mm. kind of need to protest amongst the young now. But at the same time, we've got this gagging order that seems to be with, uh, you know, Brexit being called like the mm. greatest generational betrayal like of our times and 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 such. Do you feel like young people have had this sort of, have, are they becoming more, um, the need to become more influential and politicised because they've got this gagging order mm. on there? Have they? I do feel like 
again, going back to that, the, the idea of influence being the need to be heard. Any type of crisis is going to punctuate that need to be heard. That's the time when you feel like you have zero control. That's the time when you feel like everything that's in my world right now is somebody else's decision. Mm-hmm. You know, when Brexit mm-hmm. happened, you know, when Trump happened, everything that's going on now, young people are starting, you know, they're, they're rising up because of the fact that they, A, had their worlds blown apart mm-hmm. by things that they never thought would happen. I was amongst that. I was so firmly in my own echo chamber that when Brexit mm-hmm. happened, I was completely I was so shocked by it. It rocked me. And it made me more politicised. And I think this is something we're seeing across the board with young people because they're realising, as Kripali said, that they don't have somebody fighting their corner and they've got to Mm -hmm. get out and do it themselves. And if you look at, like, young people have always struggled to be heard, historically always struggled. And the Mm -hmm. only ways that they could be heard, you look back to, like, Vietnam, was by doing stuff that was really... Tiananmen Square. really dramatic. Students have always been at the the heart and and soul of protest movements. Mm. You know, they're the ones that are at the point where ideologically they still see the world has potential Mm -hmm. and they're Mm -hmm. not, you know, they have the potential to change things. It's such a magical time for young people. Um, And I think actually all that's changed is that we now have technology to help with that. You know, we've yeah. got online petitions. So even people who may not have taken to the streets, you know, they'll sign petitions. I think it was over 80, yeah, over 86% or something in 2016 um, of young people had signed a petition in the last mm-hmm. six months. Mm-hmm. Um, now, whether they think those petitions are effective or not is something mm-hmm. that is going to start affecting that behaviour as well. Yeah. Um, if they don't but, see the fruits of those petitions yeah. but pretty we, quickly. But the, I mean, the protests we, in London, the, the Brexit protests yeah. a few weeks ago, mm. were epic. Mm. Mm-hmm. The protests when Trump came to town were, were amazing. epic. And that was and hilarious. full of young people <laughs> who were massively politicised and using their influence to talk about it on social mm-hmm. media, to actually, you know, use platforms to get a political message yeah. out there. Completely. And I do feel like this is one of the things where, like, technology gets such a bad rep. And I'm, you know, it's it's one of my kind of bugbears that it kind of gets slagged off all the time without, the, without anyone really thinking about the agency that we have when it comes to technology. Mm-hmm. We have the power to use it for good or for evil. And one of the things that I find so amazing about young people, especially when they're politicised and technology, is the combination of those things when they are put together with real world problems is when mm-hmm. it starts to come into its own really powerful magic dimension. And those are the things that, you know, Kay's just mentioned, Trump, but also like Me Too you know how that how women rose up all over the world and that mm. spread like mm. wildfire black lives matter as well black started black on social matter. exactly um you know and and even things like the humanitarian aid system has completely been flipped on its head because mm. of technology and young people um it's absolutely incredible from where they find out where aid needs to go to how it's distributed you know these are they're antiquated systems that have been in place for years and years that are being changed because of young people and tech combining together for real world problem real world problems and real world solutions. Would, would you say that social media is then like one of the only places that young people can have real influence? Because like you said, it's traditionally not listened to in real life, mm. not looked out for in politics, not talked about in mainstream media except negatively. So yeah. social media became our sort yeah. of fighting playground. It's, it's interesting because simultaneously it's a safe place and also a very, very hostile place. Mm. Yeah. So depending mm. on the platform, I feel you know, young people might feel much, much more able to express their views on like a Tumblr feed, for example, mm. or um, in in Instagram than on Twitter. Yeah. You know, Twitter is a hostile place for political opinions 
And, it, you know, somebody just needs to take something you've said and, you know, the whole world feels like it's against you. Yeah, so so I think I think although it is a platform, young people are very careful about what they're posting, how they're posting, you know, w- what kind of messages they're receiving as well as get mm-hmm. as well as putting out. And actually, this is where the echo chamber is mm-hmm. at its worst because yeah. you surround yourself with positive reinforcement and people that people that feel, think and look like you do. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you realize, you know, you have a rude awakening into the, the rest of the world and realize, oh, hold on, not everybody, not everybody's like that. Mm. Mm. I do think, though, with um, social media um, and, and social platforms being one of the uh, like one of the arenas that young people feel like they're heard. I think the reason why that has been uh, so, has been confirmed for them is because of the fact that they have been listened to on those platforms by brands for years because mm. brands can't afford not to. Yeah. So, you know, you can take over a brand within you know a matter of minutes and decimate it uh, if you have the right amount of young people I mean look what happened with you know H&M mm. you know mm. not just not just mm. the the monkey scandal but also you know what happened when they put out the adverts with, for you know advertising with loads of like young women of all different shapes and sizes and then they found out that you know women in factories in, who, across the world for H&M were getting paid tiny amounts and that came out because a couple of women were like oh yeah if you want to be playing in this space of feminism let's have a look mm. so you, you you know so, so they have seen that they have power and it's not just power transactionally with money. It's power to take down a brand. And so they, there is, they know that there is the power there. So they are starting to exercise it with things like, you know, politics, etc. And I think that this will probably grow even more over time. Has that been changed somewhat by generational differences as well, though? So, for instance, we mentioned 17 being such an influential age. I remember being on Facebook at 17. I remember being on Facebook at 23 and then suddenly both grandparents, mum and dads, mm. aunties, uncles and everybody were on the platform. Yeah. And it also <laughs> became sort of, you know, a bit... Mm. Yeah. I mean, this is the interesting thing, I think, about platforms. And, and, and you know, we've spoken about this before, but the whole Irvin Goffman, um, you know, life as a performance mm-hmm. identity piece that he did in as early as it was in the 50s that he came up with this idea of how we project our identities in different ways depending on who we're with and you know he had the idea of front, front stage and backstage you know who do I want to present myself to to my boyfriend in comparison to my mum in comparison to people that I work with mm. those um, performances that we all enjoy to play out have been around you know since the beginning of identity platforms like Facebook and Twitter etc are just other stages for mm. us to play out these they have different memes about that, yeah. don't they? It's like Instagram me versus me on Twitter. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. exactly. So if you think about exactly. the fact that Facebook was probably once a place, a place that was a little bit your backstage, where you had your friends and you know, like some people that you maybe met at festivals mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, mum and dad start coming into it. It's moved from backstage to front stage mm-hmm. because you can't, you can't, this be, is who yeah, I want you, to yeah, be I can't do that performance people. anymore. I have yeah. to be like, I mean, I personally only use Facebook now for putting up a picture on someone's birthday mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, crowdsourcing, which is embarrassing, but like, you know, that's literally all I use it for. Yes. Um, and 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 I think when these platforms start to change, the stage that you and the performance that you put on them will naturally change change with them. So yeah, I can see that you would be behaving differently than you would a couple of years ago. I know as well on the back of that that privacy was a big concern that you found yeah, in your research paper. Yeah. You know, and this was a massive topic and. The more and more I read into this as well, and the more and more I think from sort of my perspective is that young people are in a unique position in that um, everything they've ever said or done to an extent on social media is documented. 
And you yeah. can't go back 10 years it's and delete ter- old terrifying. tweets, really. It's terrifying. And there is, you know, there are um, there are companies who are, you know, making a living out of deleting your I really need one of those. You you definitely need one, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I think you know this. This is the problem. This is why young people are now so worried about privacy issues. And actually, a few years ago, um, technology companies were the companies that were championed by young people, and now they feel a little betrayed by them as well. So you know what we found in our original piece of uh, young blood research in 2016 was that young people didn't trust governments, they didn't trust um, religious institutions, they didn't they didn't trust politicians and you know educational institutions. Now they've stopped trusting brands as well. So that was a massive shift, and I think that comes from the data scandals. You know these these kind of dramas are, are going to be really influential on on how the young people see them going forward. I think it's a really, um, I mean, it's an, it's an age-old quote, but the one that says, if if you're not paying for the product, then you are the product. Yeah. And I think that young people are really starting to realise that and mm. to have a think about where they put their data, get where they, you know, yeah, get, yeah, exactly. Mm. And, you know, I think it, I think that's, that's, uh, that is a good thing. I think we should all be a bit more cautious about it. Although saying that, if we were going to be realistic about it, you probably would have had to delete yourself in like 1996 to yeah. get ahead of like your data being oh, sold yeah. off. Yeah, it but. surprised me that young people people are so concerned about their privacy because I guess um, I don't know if I can put myself in the bracket anymore I'm like sort of teeing towards the the top end but um, everyone like knows the Apple terms and conditions you just accept someone mm-hmm. wants to uh, you know accept our cookies or you can't go on the site you're just like yeah okay okay and it'll be like my parents are like oh maybe you should read that let, give me a minute let me read it and I'll be like oh you don't need to no one does <laughs> so it did surprise me that people have started to care about that more mm. um, but yeah I guess it makes total sense what you're saying about um, institutions and it's oh, sort of anything with a corporation badge stuck on it people are like right. recoiling but mm. I guess my question is for brands that's that's a worry but how how do we move past that yeah. can it be undone they, they need to be brands need to be the champions of Absolutely. protecting your data. Young people are looking for brands to do that. You know, they don't trust government to do it. They think government should have a stake in it. But um, actually, you know, be responsible. Mm. Be responsible. Take ownership. If if we can do that with, you know, the, the, the gender um, conversations that are happening right now, mm. the body positivity movement that's happening right now, Brands are claiming that and they're really winning in those places mm-hmm. and those spaces with young people. You can also do that with data. Yeah, but if you just if you do do it, just don't muck it up. That's why a lot of brands don't because they're just so scared of sin. Like there's probably more good examples than bad ones, but the bad ones really like live on yeah. when they happen. Pepsi instantly comes yeah. to mind, doesn't it? The but you whole, know, the, the world yeah. is a f- like when it comes to brands trying the world can be forgiving. Mm. You know, I mean, Pepsi was be a, humble a pretty well bit. Admit, put your hands up, say you got it wrong, but you are trying. Mm. You know, I think that's really important. Why, why I'm interested to know as well, because I suppose brands have always tied themselves to these causes. What what instances is it wrong? What I'm trying to say is when what what would it need to go very wrong? Mm-hmm. Why have these uh, examples inauth- come along there? If you're inauthentic. So if you're going to support a cause, if you're going to be part of a cultural movement, if you're going to take on somebody else's battle, mm-hmm. you need to have a really good reason why you are in that place. Mm-hmm. Because as a brand, everybody is looking at you and saying, what are you getting out of this? Mm-hmm. So unless you have a reason to be there, 
don't be there. Yeah. And if you're going to be there, make sure you're giving more than you're getting. Mm-hmm. And just you know, think about the details as well. I mean, we were just talking about um, the Iceland Christmas ad on the way up, and about how you know, you know, it, it's it's beautifully put together. It's got a great message. But if another um, supermarket chain had put that out, you know, it probably would have got backlash but because of the fact that Iceland have got rid of palm oil and because of the fact that they are getting rid of all plastics within the next three years they are already they are becoming a supermarket that now has the right to talk about the environment mm. which is amazing because mm. I completely I, I, I never think of going to Iceland it's not my brand at all but I'm obviously the kind of person that they're going for because immediately I'm like oh I'll forward this add-on oh yeah. I'll start talking about Iceland oh They've this is incredible the whole mums go to Iceland Iceland loves orangutans so you know this is the brand for me it's that, and, and it is just coming from an authentic place, you know, coming from a, a place of credibility where you can say, this is the reason we're involved in this and we mm. genuinely care mm. and be in it for the long mm. haul. Yeah. And they're trying to undo the damage that Kerry Katona did them. Poor, poor thing. I want to slightly, I'm going to throw out a hypothetical question at you now that I've just been thinking about. And, you know, we mentioned Iceland and we look at people like, Mark Ritson and the sort of CMOs and stuff at the moment. What happens when the young people today eventually get into those positions of power within brands and they're not just the influencers or the influential mm-hmm. people, they are actually the people running the show. Do you think yeah. we come into that same... We, we love this. We love this. I'm excited We love this idea. Yeah, I'm completely excited by this. I mean, the, we, when we looked at our, um, our socioeconomic split in our in our massive reams of data, mm-hmm. what we found is those in junior managerial positions, so those that are going to be the leaders of tomorrow, were the most liberal, they were the most forward-thinking, they were the most world-conscious, mm-hmm. they were environmentally aware, they were massive team players. Mm-hmm. All that good stuff that we really want to see today was in that group. We believe, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we believe. Is that completely different from, say... Generation X, yeah, in a way, yeah, and I think that I think that I mean we've seen such a huge shift in the generations and what they deem to be success and, and what they care about. You know, I mean, I think it was probably like 10, 15 years ago. It was all about getting the best job that you could and having a house and having the money. And I think that you know this younger generation has come up and they've seen that that just doesn't work. Mm. It doesn't give you happiness. You know, it's the candy mountain that tastes of nothing. Mm. And they've got to a point where also not only are those things probably not achievable for them, like the housing market is ridiculous for a young person to try and scale now um, they're, they're looking at things and going well what is achievable for me and how do I actually find inner happiness and from that are coming, it's come all this beautiful data that we found of like the most important um, measurement of success is happiness mm. for a young person and when we dialed into what that actually meant it was like about how I'm not having too much on my plate about not juggling too many things about being mindful about you know looking after my mind and my body and all of this stuff is things that you if 10 years ago if you'd have asked a young person that I think it would have been so far off the mark. Mm. It would have been money, car, status, you know, doing one in my job, doing one in my life, being seen as something. Mm. And now it's like, how do I see myself? It's very much in, you know, more introspective than it used to be. Isn't it funny to see that technology does seem to be accommodating for that as well? We've had a few episodes where we've talked about artificial intelligence and you'll definitely get one side of the room who will be like oh I'm going to lose my job in five years and then you'll get the <laughs> other side of the room who are saying well actually yeah. this could maybe shave two hours off my day yeah. which could be put to better uses yeah. I suppose. Yeah. We've, we found that 36% of our young audience 
um, agreed with the statement that AI will destroy us. Yeah, I noticed that. (laughs) So, I mean, that's a scary statement, but also 81% think that tech can be used as a force for good. Mm -hmm. Look, AI has always, you know, we talk about uh, metamorphosis, no, Metropolis. Metropolis Metropolis in the 20s, Blade Runner in the 80s, you know, Westworld now. I, Robot. I robot exactly. <laughs> I can see the terror in that. Your that eyes. was like a, a crucial age for me. That came out for like molding my, my inner thoughts and fears. And so robots have really ended up. Uh, exactly. High on that. exactly. We we just project our worst, you know, our worst future on a on a yeah. future with robots. Mm-hmm. However, you know. What we heard from young people is like technology is great. We just don't trust humans with technology. Mm-hmm. And when we when we dialed into why are you scared of AI, you know, we don't trust hu- what humans will do with it, mm. where it will end up. Mm. We can't be trusted, basically. That part, that part doesn't surprise me. I do all. think, though, with technology, we do need to have a think about the balance of tech and what it gives to um, people. Like we concentrate in the media, um, we concentrate in films and, you know, just just uh, even amongst brands about how tech is kind of ruining our lives and taking away all these different things from us and nobody goes outside and they don't look up anymore and they don't go for runs in fields and what have you. But it is providing, you know, pathways to mental health. It's also helping young people who maybe were on the sidelines bandied together around other young people and, and form groups. You know, it's helping us be more progressive. It's helping people who are living in tiny villages in Wales feel part of the LGBTQI mm. community, even though they might just live in a farm with four dogs. They, you know, there mm. are so many ways that technology is helping expand our horizons and help people in, so in, in you know, in, in a myriad of ways. I think we concentrate so much on what it is taking from us. Mm. And once you concentrate on what is taking from you as a personal person, you forget your own agency. How am I using it? Mm. Not how is it using me? We yeah. all have that choice. And we need to remember that we have the power over tech mm. if we allow ourselves to. I'm curious, just picking up on that um, picture you painted about people in different areas of the country all part of these like tiny, tight communities. Is that how you describe micro-influence? Um, I mean, micro-influence, I suppose, is just influence on a smaller scale, isn't it? It's just, a you know, either one-to-one or amongst a small group. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, if it's anything that's kind of more close quarters mm. could be considered micro-influence. Because, because what we've been seeing is sort of a move away from these big influencers, and I think in part because of what we were talking about, about um, sort of the bigger your audience gets, the more likely you are to sell out and, mm. and it becomes less relatable as they approach celebrity, really, mm. um, farther away from girl next door or boy next door. Um, so I guess, yeah, with micro-influencers, it's more of those sort of authentic, close-to-the-brand people mm-hmm. uh, people that brands are looking for. But I always wondered if like how sustainable that is. Mm-hmm. So you said before about Stormzy versus Rita Ora, yeah. and Stormzy was almost the perfect candidate for the job, but how easy to come by is that? I think it just requires um, brands to be more just more careful more intelligent um, and just better mm-hmm. and, and you know that's a real catch-all but just be better and I've keep your ears to the yeah, ground keep it like you, the if you're not involved and this again comes back to credibility and authenticity if you want to be part of that cultural movement you will know who is coming up in the yeah. ranks you'll know who those micro influencers yeah. are yeah. as your micro influence be- influencers become bigger and bigger you will see the pipeline of people that are replacing them yeah. and there's always going to be that you just have to be in that place and having the right conversations. We worked with a brand um, a few years ago where they were trying to tap into a young 
urban male audience and we're talking like you know 16 17 18 years old and everybody that I went into the meeting and everybody within the meeting was like a 30 plus woman trying to talk to you know this audience and I was just like what are you even doing like where is your insight coming from how can you make any of these decisions and the minute that you think as a brand that you're all the ideas are going to come from within this room I think you are failing and like you know the first thing that we did uh, to try and get them on the right path was like get them in touch with like 30 young boys like get them in the room and they were actually terrified they were like can't we have one of those mirrors where we can see them (laughs) that would be on the other side and I was like this is the problem this is the problem if you're not going to get in there and meet them and understand them and actually get like what makes them tick what do they care about like you know it was mm. it was around the time of all the um the uh, kind of r- the looting and the riots in london so everyone was like terrified of the urban audience but knew that they had power because they all had blackberries and it's like how do we tap into this but we're fearful of it and it was like he like actually we're talking about a, a, a an audience that is bubbling with creativity and so much potential and so much to say and you know what you all you need to do is get into the same room with them yeah. so I think that you know if if you think that micro um, influencers or people that are more ex- have more expertise are hard to come by good mm. great you've got a bigger job cut out but it's going to be a better one when you're finished mm. with it just be more strategic I think that's such a good point as well that most um, brands will look in at the sort of the heads they have in the room mm. and they'll make their whole campaign from start to finish based on the opinions of those people yeah. and without diversity within or even like like you said getting out there like meeting the people that you want to reach it's just never going to happen well, I think this is this is something that the industry itself needs to work on mm. so there's no point you know having this conversation about diversity and putting a diverse group of people in your ad campaign if actually in your office, it's not. No. There's no point doing you it. You can't influence people if you don't understand who you're trying to influence. Mm-hmm. And if you're not made up of those people. No. And it's not about numbers. It's not about a, a box-ticking exercise. It's just surrounding yourself with a group of people that have lots of different viewpoints. You know, mm-hmm. lots of... If you look at your... I heard somebody saying this the other day. It was so true. If you, if you look at your friend circle and they all look like you and sound like you... You need to get out there and find some <laughs> yeah. new friends because where are you growing from? Where's your growth coming from? Where's yeah. that creativity coming mm. from? But I think this is why influence itself has become, you know, such a almost dirty word in a way and so defunct is because people have, be- have become lazy and they don't understand it and they don't want to think about things like resonance and trust and relevance and expertise. Mm. They just want to think about reach because it's very easy mm. to go through a PowerPoint and go, how many followers, how many followers, which actually it, it can be a backlash to having loads of followers rather than it being work- working in your favour. Mm. So I think it's something that, you know, has to change. And personally, I'm very excited to see the change because mm. I just think people just need to be smarter. Now, authenticity definitely trickles through from the top to the bottom to your campaigns and your offices, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Just to know, on a, on a sort of a final point, um, what do we envisage another sort of realistic way to reach young people that isn't through influencer marketing? Be that at micro scale, be that at macro, yeah, be that... Yeah, I mean, it doesn't need... You don't need necessarily to have a person on a social platform Mm -hmm. telling you a message as a brand every touch point should be a way to communicate your values Mm -hmm. um, with your audience Mm -hmm. and you know that's the that's how you connect with an audience through through your values through the things that you believe you know your products are um yeah they're they're the things the sexy things that people want they'll 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 
rationalize mm-hmm. on product features, but they'll buy on emotion. Mm-hmm. And this is one so. of the more, um, again, heartwarming and the reasons why we say we believe in, in young people <laughs> is because when we asked, you know, what was most important for them when it came to brands, a social mission was one of the most important things that a brand could have. Mm-hmm. And that to me is fantastic. It means like if you want to connect with young people, then have something to say, as Kay is saying, have something to say outside of your product. Because if we're moving into a world where there are no loyal consumers anymore, mm-hmm. you know, where there really aren't loyal consumers, but you can have advocates of your brand, you know, if you have something that's a social mission that they can talk about even when they're not buying your products, that is when you're going to start to win. Yeah. When people actually care about you and what you have to say and what your values are when they're not purchasing your product, that's that's the sweet spot. Mm. It, it does intrigue nice me, sorry. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just picturing a better world. It have, like, a <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice knock-on effect. If, <laughs> if people are like demanding uh, social change from brands, Sooner or later, they'll listen to the demand and then think of all that power and money that they have to make actual change. Yeah, it's, fa- it's, it's fascinating for me that it just seems like, you know, when when print media goes and newspapers and all of that, and we're just left in this sort of, you know, space that brands will sort of be the last bastion to mm. sort of cling, that young people cling to mm. for, like you said, this kind of purpose conversation that mm-hmm. we Sort of well, brands will always be a thing. We'll always need stuff. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just the, the role that they seem to have elevated over the last 50 years, which strikes me as sort of, you know, we surround ourselves with brands mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. show that identity of ourselves. Oh, yeah, right? for sure. Oh, fabulous. Thank you very much for coming in, guys. Yeah, Honestly, so really, much. really enjoyed that. Thank, thank, you. thank you. Thanks for having, thank us. having us. Thank you. No problem. This has been the Social Minds Podcast with Theo, Eve and music by Pierre Flass.